This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we're going to be talking about what I think is one of the keys of being a great leader, is how do you develop a phenomenal and a great marriage and today we have Ted Lowe on the uh, on the podcast. Ted, thank you for being here. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's great to be here. And Ted and I, you and I were just chatting here before we hit record about how important it is. You know, it, it's amazing as I've worked and coached with you know so many leaders uh, over many years in business and ministry and the government. And, and you know, all the business coaching that I do, it always gets into what I call coaching and coaching around people's values and what's going on outside of maybe that situation and you know developing you know, the, the people that I've worked with that have really worked on their marriages and and figured out how to just have this phenomenal marriage that is like this keystone oftentimes that when we can become that person that has that amazing marriage that makes everything else that we're trying to accomplish in our life you know that much easier that much better um, and, uh, and I'm really excited to have this conversation today because it's, um, it's interesting as we've really gotten to know so many of you out there listening that, you know, this is something, um, that comes up actually quite a bit. So Ted, I know you're a speaker, you, you just wrote a book called the best us. It's a marriage book for people who hate marriage books, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> working married couples a long time and I, I you know, especially when it comes to marriage books, I know uh, us guys in particular, you know, to say marriage books, that's not exactly the most exciting topic for people to think about. So we just wrote a book and let's say, how do we make this thing super practical? Let's get straight down to the points of what we can do to, uh, to help our marriages. So yeah, we've had a lot of fun with this book for sure. Yeah. It's a hundred pages, you know, and I remember, you know, and well, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, uh, uh my wife and I had, you know, we're really struggling in our marriage. This was years ago. We've been married 28 years now, almost 29, uh, Ted. And um, one of the things we started doing is actually taking books like this and reading it together. We decided, you know what, if we could each work on ourselves, um, you know, and I had, a re- I had to resist the temptation to like highlight a section and hand it to Donna and say, hey, <laughs> honey, read this. And, you know, and she was like, hey, John, you need to read this, right? So, uh, but anyway, I, you're a speaker. You're director of Married People, uh, which is the marriage division of the Rethink Group, um, also known as Orange. So you'll have to, we'll get into that a little bit too. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's completely devoted to influencing those who are influencing that next generation. And boy, do we do that as parents, don't we? Absolutely. Um, you're also the director of uh, Married Life at North, North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and you joined the Orange team specifically to create uh, married people. Uh, I know you're a graduate of the Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Uh, you live in Georgia, 
And uh, I know you have a great wife uh, and marriage and three kids, and we share a little bit about our kids. So uh, there's a lot that you're working on. You've also co-authored Married People, How Your Church Can Build Marriages That Last. And uh, we just mentioned uh, you just you just wrote the the best us. So, you know what you know. I'd love for you to go back a little bit. What led you into this passion and this and uh, what you're doing right now, focusing on helping people with their marriages, Ted? You know, I think John for for Nancy and I. You know, when we got married, we had zero clue. We've been married for 23 years, and we had zero clue uh, what we were doing. You know, we thought we were going to be that. But we did think we we're going to be the exception to every rule, you know, that our that our love, you know, we're that special couple where our love was going to find a, a way we would never have any problems. We'd never have any issues. And then we got together and we found out we were more like everybody than we wanted to be. And and we didn't have this big dramatic story uh, and we haven't had a big dramatic story of 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 a lot of crisis. But we've had what we call moments of awesome uh, mixed in with moments of awful. And we thought, you know, how is it that some days we're doing great and the next day we're doing awful? And so started really, especially in our first few years of marriage, trying to figure that out. So what in the world is going on? Because it, it, this just can't be random. And so um, we were working in a large church in California and we got part of the, became part of their marriage ministry and started talking to some really smart people. It started being a student of marriage and how can we do this better? And and just thought, wow, this is these things have helped us so much. Um, and we really got a passion, you know, a few years back saying, how do we pour this into other couples? And again, we've been in ministry um, at two large churches in the country and we're given the opportunity to pour into to married couples and just had a, you know, it's been a great journey for us. It hasn't been an easy one, but it has been an important one for us. You know, and, you know, as, you, as you've gone through that, Ted, um, you know, there's people that, you know, come to this, that you know, they're in, I, I would think they're in very different places, aren't they? They're, you know, their marriage is doing, you know, pretty healthy. You know, if you have people probably rank it on a scale of one to 10, right? You have probably three groups, right? The the healthy ones, the, you know, the sevens and above, the ones that are struggling a bit, but it's not in crisis. And then you have, you know, those people, and I'm sure they're listening, they're, you know, they feel like they're in crisis, they're close to a divorce, or there's constant acrimony, and, you know, so since you have the kind of these needs across the spectrum, you know, where do, where do we start? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we need to start encouraging each other. You know, we were talking earlier before, you know, like you said, before we push record about how quickly technology, you know, goes, you know, becomes irrelevant. We are the generation that upgrades instead of um, persisting. And so I think one of the things that I just want to encourage everybody is just that we can't have divorce on the table as an option. And that's not just a, a, a Christian standpoint. That's, you know, secular counselors will tell you the same thing. As long as divorce is on the table as an option, they're limited to what they can do. So I think for all of us, it really does start with this whole idea of, hey, you and I, we promise each other that that life, you know, it's forever. And this isn't somebody listening if they're divorced and remarried. This isn't for them. This isn't guilt. This isn't a guilt trip. This is about the marriage you're in now or the marriage you will be in the future and saying we will not put divorce on the table as an option. And from that, we're going to do whatever we can to make it work. And so as I think culture has what I call the me mindset where we are constantly asking the question, is this working for me? Uh, is this marriage working for me? Where I think, you know, the better 
the better mindset, the one we call the us mindset, is asking the question, what am I doing to make this marriage work? So like you mentioned earlier, it's so easy for us to see what's going on, you know, what our spouse could change. And for us, we're saying, no, let's just focus on us. Let's just go back to what, what is one thing that I could do to make my marriage work? And so if somebody's listening and they're, even if they're in crisis or even if they're to place where we, they just have, are having relational speed bumps, to ask that question, what am I doing to make this situation work? What am I doing to make this marriage work? It changes things. It postures us in a different way because when we fight to win or we fight to be right, we, we both lose. Well, you know, if I'm listening to that, I'm like, okay, um, what do I need to do? Like, what's something, a habit, something I can change? A husband, a wife out there who's listening right now, where, you know, where, where do we start? Where, what does it take, you think, to kind of start taking some of those first steps forward? Yeah, so I, I worked at uh, North Point Church for nine years, and we had marriage events four times a year. And so for four times a year, for nine years, I'm having to dive in and saying, what is one thing that couples could do? Uh, you know, there'd be a couple thousand people there and I'd say, OK, with so many people coming from so many different places, experiencing marriages in so many different ways. What is the one thing that would help any couple in this room? And what I kept hearing myself say over and over after studying was, hey, this isn't easy to live out, but this is easy to understand. Um, and as a believer, I said, why would God make the gospel simple and make marriage difficult? Because I think a group what we've convinced a generation is a group of PhDs have all these answers to marriage and somehow the average Joe and Sue have to get those answers for them when I feel like we've just forgotten some of the basics like being kind. So when we put this book together, what we did is we just dove in and said, what, you know, what is God, what is his directive when it comes to marriage? Because he calls marriage a mystery. You know, Paul says in Ephesians, you know, marriage is a mystery. You know, maybe the only time in the Bible where the author just punts, you know, it's like, I don't even, don't even, don't even try. It's, it's a mystery. But then he just gives us a few, a few verses that have verbs in them. Very few. Uh, and so we, we took four of those passages and said, what would happen if couples applied these four passages to their marriage? And, and what we came up with what we call the core four habits of a great marriage. And what I like to say about this book is this is not the book. This is not the be all end all, but it is a book that we have watched help so many couples at churches across the, the country to help people. And so um, those four are have serious fun. We could talk about that a little bit. Uh, love God first, respect and love, and then practice your promise. Practice your well. Let's let's start in that. So let's kind of go through these and give some people some ideas. Because you know, I guess what I would uh, say also, because I remember when you know when we were going you know through our challenges, right? Being married twenty eight years, and my wife and I are both fortunate. My mom and dad are married. Her mom and dad uh, were married their whole life, and you know what we. Just, you know, growing up and just having all this stuff that kind of the world had uh, injected in, right? I was kind of in this process of a new believer of really understanding who I was in Christ, right? There's a difference between kind of thinking to myself, you know, how am I wired versus how did God wire me? And, you know, and I love in like what we what we have as a definition of leadership that we teach in corporations is when we're willing to lay down our life for other people, and that's not just our physical life. You know, that's about our agenda. Am I, as a husband, 
willing to, you know, have fun and put my, you know, Donna's needs first and give her a, if I'm having a bad day and I'm stressed out, you know, be that person where if she's having the same thing, I'm not reacting and kind of ratcheting up. I'm actually creating a, a place intentionally, you know, where she can, you know, you know, vent and, 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 and say some things that she needs to sometimes. So, but having fun, my gosh, how many times is it that we hear people that have been married, you know, for a while and kind of the, the romance phase, you know, you're not dating every night, you're not talking on the phone constantly, and you really need to kind of intentionally just go out and have, have fun, right? Absolutely. And I think what we lead off with, you know, especially in Christendom is, boy, you know, marriage, it, it's, it takes a lot of hard work. I mean, we say that over and over to people. And, you know, so many people say it to hopeful couples about to get married. You know, you should know marriage is a lot of hard work. And the problem with leading out with that is that's not why any of us got together. None of us got together because we thought, hey, you know, we're, we're very, very different. It's going to be great for us to get together and work on it. Uh, we got to get very fun. Does it Ted? <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know, I, I tell, it's not like I walk in dad, you know, I met the greatest girl. She's so beautiful and completely passive aggressive. I can't wait to get together and work on it. No, we didn't do that. We did that because we like, we like being together. We like having fun together and fun. It's got lots of different definitions for lots of different couples. That's why in this book, your best us it's we said, you know, every couple is different. And so I feel like in the Christian world too, we've elevated this, this couple to perfection that none of us can actually achieve. And we're, what we want to say to couples is, hey, this is about the story that God's telling with your marriage. There's no other us just like yours. And we lead out, it comes from Proverbs 5, where Solomon is what I call, is trying to scare the pants on his son. He is warning him up that, up against adultery. And for 14 verses, He's scaring him, saying, hey, you know what? Do not follow this woman. She will take your you know, your feet straight to the grave, and you're going to get to the end of your life. And you say, why didn't, I, why didn't I listen to direction? And then it stops, and it says, so here's the do of how to protect your marriage from adultery. And he says, be captivated, be intoxicated by the wife of your youth. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty amazing thing. And one of the things we say a lot is the best way to protect your marriage is to enjoy your marriage. Because if that is what Solomon, who should have followed his own advice, but, but say to the rest of us is if we enjoy our marriage, it's going to protect our marriage and we can we can connect. And so, again, that's a different definition for lots of couples. For some people, that's. That's going for a walk for some couples. That's going on a date for some couples. That's having a, a, a you know a TV show they like to do together for some, you know. But it's it's making time uh, for fun. It's making time for intimacy. It's saying you know what I know. There's a lot of things going on. I know there are a lot of what I call fun barriers where you know our busyness and seriousness and even wondering you know hey we've been struggling. We don't even know if we know how to have fun anymore. But all those, and I said, you know, fun doesn't require perfection, but it does require participation. And so if, if you're listening and you're saying, oh, I don't even know if we know how to have fun. If we go out, it would be awkward. It might be, uh, and it may take a while, but it's still something that we have to schedule into our lives is having fun. And when we do and we connect on those ways, it's so rich. You know, I agree. You know, it's just this year, everything got busy. And Don and I realized, Ted, that we hadn't gone out, just her and I, on a date in like six months. Mm -hmm. 
So we scheduled just, we went out for coffee and dinner and we just sat there for hours and just talked about stuff in life and held hands and ended up at the end of it just laughing. We had a, just an amazing evening. And so, you know, so even if it does feel awkward, um, it'd be, it'd be really neat. And I'd love to hear from people, right? What's that one thing you did just to go have fun? Maybe it's for a walk. I mean, there's so many different things you could probably do. You don't have to go spend a lot of money to go have fun, do you? No, not not at all. Not at all. In fact, you know, we found the most fun things for us. You know, we both run and we'll we'll run together. Uh, that's one of the things we love to do. Some people are listening going, that would be a nightmare. We've got friends said if we ran together, we would not stay married because we would be constantly. <laughs> so that may not be that may not be your thing. Uh, but I think it's it's finding your thing and going, you know what, this is what works for us. This is what we like to do. And, and sometimes it, you know, it might be a little awkward finding your way. But I think what we've done, you know, John, is we have convinced again, a convinced generation that if you've got an issue, we've got a problem that we can't have a marriage almost. Well, we have some dear friends of ours who uh this is God, this has been about seven eight years ago, but they came over and they told us they were about to go on the vacation, just the two of them. And we're like, well, you guys are lucky. How'd you pull that off? But they start talking about that they didn't want to go, and we're like, why? And they said because we keep fighting over whether we should stay in our current house or move to another one. Which I went, okay, that is some uh, first world problems, but it's still their problem. So we, <laughs> we just uh, we keep fighting about this and. I looked at him. I said, then why don't you take a vacation from talking about it on your vacation? And these two very smart people look at me and they said, can we do that? And what it drilled in my head at that moment was, for some reason, we think that an issue or a problem until it's all perfect, then we can't have fun or we can't have a relationship. I mean, think if we did that with our relationship with God, and sometimes I guess we can to say, hey, God, I've got this issue, I've got this problem, but until I get it figured out, I can't connect with you. And so that's what we really want to encourage couples is just to say, hey, you know, sometimes just take a break from talking about stuff. Let's don't have to talk, you know, especially on date night. Like, don't bring your issue to date night. Just bring each other and say, hey, you know, we're going to table this for now, but right now we're just going to be together. So having fun is a huge deal. You know, I love that idea. Right. The, you know, some some of those conversations that we need to have that we really get embroiled in as couples about our kids, about life, about big decisions. You know, sometimes it's good to that's a great reminder. Just set those to the side and just enjoy each other. And even through maybe th through that of setting it aside, actually, the you know, God can speak into it because you're not, you know, when we tither about it. Right. That's what we call it. Right. The The pressure and noise of all the everything going on sometimes gets, you know, so high that it's hard to actually kind of see that, you know, what that next step is. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Now your, your second principle is love God first. Let's talk about that one. Well, people usually say, okay, if it's love God first, why don't you put it second? Um, <laughs> but, but I think hey, that's a have... great question, Ted. Why did you put it second? <laughs> well, um, I think that, we say this a lot, you know, that humor and fun opens the heart to deeper things. I mean, you know, you're, you're a communicator. You know that when you when you say something funny or you tell a, a funny story that people's hearts are opened more there. Uh, and so we say, let's start with fun. Let's start to connect and we go to deeper things. And, you know, 
we mentioned a couple of times, it's so much easier to see in our spouse, you know, what they need to do. But one of the things we've done, I can't find anywhere in the Bible that it says as a couple, you need to. What I do see is husbands do this and wives do this. Now, there's definitely parenting principles that talk about as a couple, you need to. But when it comes to marriage, there's not. It says, again, it's husbands do this and, and wives do this. And one of the most powerful things that I think a couple could do when it comes to bringing God into the equation, because typically people are at different points spiritually, especially when they're struggling. And we'd say, you know what? You go take care of your relationship with Christ. You do whatever it is you do that connects the most with Jesus. And when you do, it postures us to love our spouse in a way we can never love them on, on our own. Like if I'm not spending time you know, in the mornings for me, it's, it's a quiet time where, I, you know, people are going to puke when they hear me say this, but I journal I, by typing in my computer. That's kind of how I pray. I say I was ADHD way before it's cool. And so that's how I can kind of focus in. And when I do that, it, again, it postures me to love her on my own. And, you know, when I ask Jesus, what's the most important command? He starts with, you know, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, body, and mind, then love others yourself. And I think the ordering of that is so important. It says, focus on me first, and you'll be able to love each other better because it just, you know, the fruits of the Spirit describe a pretty great spouse. What do you think prevents people, um, you know, married folks, uh, from really kind of focusing on God first to, to actually doing that, Ted? You know, I think it's, you know, if we're – the way we're a little bit different and you know we think couples yeah do divorce i'm sorry do you know do devotions together pray together um you know all that all that's important but most important is us connected with god and i think it's whatever it is that keeps us from doing that whether it's you know it's busyness at work it's you know what i'm going to get up early but if instead of you know spending 30 minutes you know, in a quiet time, I'm going to spend 30 minutes organizing my day better or catching up on emails. And so I think busyness is probably the culprit for a lot of us. Or there's some of us that we've no, you know, maybe our, we don't know how, what does that even mean to spend time with God? You know, does that mean, you know, that I'm reading through the Bible in six weeks? Does that mean, you know, what does that mean for me? And I think again, you know, God's telling a unique story, not only in our marriage, but us as individuals is to really find what that is for you. Like from, for my wife, you know, she loves praise and worship music. That's where she feels connected the most. And I like it. Uh, and I like to hear it at church, but for me again, it's, it's journaling. So I think it's finding that thing and doing it and saying, you know, it's, it makes me better all day. You know, if, if we're really saying, you know, that our faith needs to matter at work, I'm a firm believer that when we change our relationship with God for the better, it not only makes our marriage better, it makes work better. It makes everything better. It puts things in perspective uh, as well. Like what's, you know, with work, you know, we had a pastor used to say this all the time. He goes, long after you're irrelevant at work, you're going to be relevant at home. Uh, and I think the, one of the things that keeps uh, our jobs and marriage in perspective is it's having more of God's perspective. Yeah. And here's something to share too. We were, uh, there, there's a mastermind group that we'd put together. There were a bunch of us, we were all married. And, you know, one of the things that came out of that, we were talking about this exact topic. How do we really, in our busy days, right, the busyness factors really creeped up. How do we 
start really putting God first. And you know what we came up with, which um, I've been doing and it's been incredibly helpful, is I don't charge my phone next to my bed. My habit in the morning, I'd wake up and I'd look over at my phone and you'd look at the notifications. Are there any new texts or emails or anything that came in? And I was immediately in kind of, you know, business mode, right? Task mm-hmm. completion mode. And my my goal right now is to not, once I get up and my feet are on the floor, to not look at my phone for at least the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And if I can just use that time to pray, to think about the day, to think about, you know, my wife or my kids or, you know, you know the important things. Mm-hmm. And what that does, first thing in the day in that morning, that quiet time, which and then now that time has expanded. I'm not much of a journaler myself, but uh, I love to, you know, sit down. Um, I, I do the, you know, the 365 Bible each year. So I'm reading through that and I read through that at night, but right before I go to bed and I let that kind of sit overnight. And then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, what, you know, what was, uh, what, what, what did that really mean to me in my life today that I just read in Job or I just read in, you know, Romans or Proverbs or Psalms, right? That what, what's maybe the one verse, the one line, the thought that God kind of worked on overnight. And for me, that has been really helpful to get me centered kind of away from myself and my needs kind of what is God's perspective and I and I really believe that that's helped me become a better husband because I am more you know present for you know how do I serve Donna right and that that is that that has not been my perspective a large percentage of of my marriage right it was I made it more about me and how come she's not serving me I'm working so many hours and I'm providing for the family and you know so you know you get skewed right when when those arrows start to point in um you know i think that's what has for me led to problems in the marriage but when you're when you are putting god first and that's you know when we really focus on how do we love and serve others how do we solve problems for others people you know and those arrows start to point out man for me that was a transition that that really had some some great benefits to relationships, not just my marriage, but other relationships also. Wow. That's huge. And what a, what a great example of finding what works for you. You know, it's, you know, as people are listening, it's, I think once you find that, once you find what works for you and you don't feel this pressure that you're not like everybody else in the Bible study or the pastor from up front and you go, you know, this is how I connect. And that's, What's matter to you? I mean, that's just massive. And it's just to that point of it is so easy to see where a spouse is going wrong and how they could serve us better. But to go, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to serve unconditionally. It's huge. It's just huge. Yeah. So here's the takeaway. I think, you know, for each of us listening, let's find one thing, even if it's a few minutes each day. My my preference is the morning or else I, it just gets lost. But, um, you know, find something, journaling, praise music, taking some quiet time, but just start and give yourself some grace, right? Uh, if, if you miss a couple days, uh, but give your, you know, find something that you can use to just start to grow that, your relationship and that, and that that time to, you know, to put God first. So yeah, absolutely. One of the most practical ways I've seen people uh, implement just a, you know, 30 second prayer is, you know, I've heard this before too. It's like, find some place on your way home from work where you throw work out the window and say, I'll pick you up on the way back. 
you know, our most important job of the day is when we're, when we're getting home. So, and the number one time couples are fighting is when they reconnect at the end of the day. And I think a lot about what's happening there. Somebody walks in and goes, oh, what a day. And their spouse goes, oh, you think you had a bad day? You ought to have had my day. And they get into this war. And so I think it's, what can we do to make that moment great? And I think one of the things we do is just say, hey, God, when I go in this house, will you help me to forget about work? Will you help me to serve them? Will you help me to listen to them? Will you help me to understand? What, what goes on with their day. Um, and those are just those powerful things, John. It's just those things that, you know, again, we've made marriage way too difficult to go, you know, who do you want walking into you? Like, who do you, how do you want to be treated when you reconnect at the end of the day? And just, you know, just serving our spouse in that way is so huge. Yeah, you know, here's a here's a thought for, for you guys out there listening too, is I, I think, you know, men tend to be kind of very singularly focused. Like we, we process and live in these little boxes, Like our work box, our project box, our family box, our TV box, our sports box. I mean, on and on and on. And um, and what happens is if I don't process out of my work box before I get home and Mm -hmm. my wife and and, and like my wife, everything is connected to everything. Right. (laughs) What happened today and, you know, the, the friends that are coming over and a project she had to get done and that's connected to the grandkids and that's connected to you know, what we're going to have for dinner tonight. And so when I come home, she wants to share all this with me. And I need to be ready for that. Because if I'm in my work box, now she's intruding in a space that I am, I haven't processed out of. And for me, that's created in the past a lot of conflicts. Oh, and, yeah. and so, you know, I love that idea of, right, just turn off the radio, mm. which feels really weird. Right. Turn off the radio and just say a prayer and process out of what happened during the day so you can, you know, show up ready. And even if it's like, you know, honey, I'm still processing. Can you give me five minutes so I can really be present? Even being able to have that conversation with your wife um, can be really, really helpful. Yeah. And and we have a rule uh, that someone passed on to us, you know, probably a decade ago. It's to never be in the on, on your cell phone uh, when you're in the car with your spouse or your kids and don't walk in the house at night on your cell phone to say, you know, they haven't seen us all day. You walk in and then we give them the, you know, hold on a minute. And my question is always when we say hold on, hold on to what? Because uh, we're basically saying hold on to anything but me right now. So I think it's just this thing of going. All right, you're not the president. Come on, we can do this. You can, you know, and even even our president take time to be with his wife. So I think it's a it's a thing here of just saying, okay, I'm going to prioritize that, and I'm going to walk in uh, ready to serve. And so that's there's you. You're so right that men are what there's you know what's the saying? Men are like waffles, and women are like spaghetti. You know, yeah, where exactly. go from box to box, and everything's connected. But to walk in and go, I'm here for you. Yep, now I'm in. Now, and maybe that's an advantage for men if we can learn how to do this well is we can jump into, hey, now I'm a husband and a dad box. All right. Well, the wa- the home waffle. All right. So the next one here, I wish we had uh, more time. We'll have to have you come back on. But respect and love. So this is kind of your, your, your third kind of core principle, core habit here. Yeah. So I think one of the things that you know, Paul is most directive on comes from Ephesians five. And it's this idea of respect and love It's when we feel respected or when we respect each other, the other one feels loving when there's loving and the other one respects. And Ephesians five 21 starts with, you know, mutual submission, mutual respect to say, you know, I'm going to put you first and, you know, no, you first, no, you first. But then there's this 
you know, there's a thing, though, that the core need of a man is to be respected. And I know for a lot of millennials, that's a tough thing for a woman to hear to say, hey, your husband needs respect. And I say it's not an issue of hierarchy. It's an issue of heart. Uh, that's the core desire. That's why a lot of our elite, you know, your listeners right now are really great at their job because we gravitate to the place where we feel respected. And so it's very it's huge for there to be mutual respect and also love, unconditional love just to say, hey, I've walked in and she's she's telling me 25 things right now. And I don't want to hear, you know, two of them. Uh, but that unconditional love pauses and engages and gives her that. And so there's this dance between love and respect uh, that's so, so important. It's so uh, key. I think, um, you know, men get painted as relational idiots and men, women get painted as, as nags. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's true at all. And I think when that, when that is happening, it's the opposite of respect and love. But I think when we get this right, uh, it's just absolutely huge. It's, you know, again, it's the basics. Yeah, I was, I I was just reading a friend of mine just forwarded me an article. I can't remember it, but it's, Written by a woman, she says, "I'm not a nag. I just want you to care." And in part of the point in her article was, you know, here's her husband walks by, you know, dirty laundry, and you know, there's hair on the floor that needs to be vacuumed, and he doesn't even notice it. And then he goes to his wife and just says, "Hey, honey, you're doing all this hard work. Just let me know, you know, what I need to do to, uh, uh, you know, to help out." And she's like, "Can't you just look around?" <laughs> <laughs> and, <Nope. laughs> but you know what if if we could just you know in kind of that spirit of you know loving our wives right if we could just look around and say you know what's she doing what's she working on is there just something i can do to just pitch in without being asked yeah. I, I think when you do that you know when when you're i know for my wife when she feels served you know you look at the five love languages and a big hers is acts of service and quality time which are not my two by the way, that's a great book for people to read, you know, to, to, to be cognizant, you know, of what are those ways that you can show her love. Right? She is, she feels loved when I do things for her without being asked, when I turn off the phone, turn off the, the TV and, and I'm present and just have a conversation and just listen to her as she shares whatever's on her heart. And I think when we do that first, that, you know, that really helps kind of, I guess, from my perspective, love your thoughts, Ted, right? For her to reciprocate with that respect, with those words of affirmations, with some of those things that are, that kind of feed into me. But I, but if I do it expecting to get that and it doesn't happen because of, you know, how I've showed up or just what's going on, that can actually create some conflict. So, you know, it's kind of like putting, you know, putting God first, right? We need to do these things because we have this heart, because we love this person and we want to serve them. We, we don't do it to get something. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that, and that is absolutely, does it increase your odds of that happening? Absolutely. But it just can't be the, the main motivation. And, you know, one thought on that too, is what I've learned my wife, she's also acts of service, which I'm, you know, I'm words of affirmation, which I tease her. I went, it'd be so much easier if you're words of you know, affirmation, this whole, like having to serve all the time, you know, this is, <laughs> this is difficult. Or I wish you like flowers, you know, I just order flowers and then not have to do all these chores around the house. So it's, it's become a joke, but what I've, I have le learned from her is I, I say, okay, how can, you know, what can I do to help you right now? Uh, and typically if they're, it's not the paint the house things, it is, can you take 
you know, I know it's my time to kick, take Teddy to lacrosse practice, but will you take her? And so I think it's just going, what is it? Where can I serve you? And it, again, it's, you know, we're loving each other in that way. Now, what is practice your promise? Let's talk about that one, Ted. Well, one of the, again, I've been focusing on marriage since 2001. And so for me, I've always been amazed at the cost of weddings. We spent $72 billion in this country last year on wedding ceremonies. Seven, that's 30 grand a wedding. And so I broke the internet because when you Google what do people spend on their actual marriage, you can't find it. I, mean, I can't imagine what thing you'd have to think up that you couldn't find any information on. All you find is wedding stats. And so we say marriage is not about the big day. It's about the everyday. And how do we, you know, we promise some pretty big things. You know, when I think about, you know, I promised 23-year-old Nancy Lowe that she could basically trust me with a lot of the quality of her life. And I just think we don't need to. We need to remember what we promised, even though we were younger, even though people were saying, hey, I, I didn't know what I was getting into or I didn't sign up for that or she's changed or he's changed. Of course, they've changed. If we hadn't changed, that's weird. And so we say, you know, what are those things that we can do every single day? How do we practice those promises? Because I'm a firm believer. It's not about these big, grand gestures. If big, grand gestures uh, were great for marriage, then Hollywood marriages would be the best. You know, good point. Uh, if it was vacations and it's starting off with a big ceremony. So it's these little things. It's these things of acknowledging each other. You know, maybe you just take a pack of post-it notes this week and you just put post-it notes around the house of all the things that he or she does that you say, thanks for doing this. You know, or maybe it's on the steering wheel. It says, hey, thanks for going to work today. I know you don't love your job right now. I know it's super stressful, but thank you for providing for the family. Or, you know, you put a post-it note on the washing machine and say, hey, I know that you've washed five gazillion loads of clothes in this uh, machine. It's been pretty much thankless task, but for today, it's not. Thank you for doing this. It, it matters and we really appreciate it. So I think it's these little daily things that you practice what you promise. And we promise some pretty big things. You know, you know, it's just that it's like uh, the whole concept of affirmations, right? Just really constantly affirming and thanking people like a sincere thank you and being specific. Now, hey, thanks. You know, thanks. Hon, but I like you talked about being specific because everybody loves to feel appreciated and affirmed, you know, for what they're doing, especially when it's something that's, you know, they don't hear a lot. Right. I mean, Nancy, my wife and I, we work at the same company, two totally different divisions, so we don't even see each other during a work day. But occasionally she'll have to walk over my space. And when the, you know, and there was a post-it note on my computer, I was, and it says, uh, I love you because you're my favorite. Oh. Uh, yeah. And so it, people go, oh, marriage is so difficult. Well, no, that's, you know, that's not difficult. That was huge. And, you know, one of the examples we use, our oldest son, uh, He'd been driving for two weeks and gives us, we get the call and he's had an accident and we sh show up at this thing and there's, you know, there's police cars and there's an ambulance and there's a fire truck. I mean, it's just a parent's worst nightmare. And so we're dealing with all that afterwards. He's very upset. I mean, we're upset. It's, it's really robbed us of any security that he knows what he's doing behind a wheel. Cause it was, he totally looked down at the radio and drove, you know, got distracted and so now we're nervous about that and we start you know when does he when does he drive again and all this 
all these things. And she sent me a text. Nancy sent me a text and it says, thank you for being the rock through this. You may not feel it on the inside, but that's all that's showing on the outside. And I, and then right into there, it was muscle finger pointing to muscle, muscle emojis. And <laughs> I'll show that when I speak at conferences and different things and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is all I needed. I mean, it was a very complicated situation. It was a big deal for our family. It was a big deal financially. It was a big deal with insurance. There was lots of details. But how I needed her to support me and love me, like, and I wasn't even expecting that. I mean, she's great at that kind of stuff. But she would say that I'm more def- stereotypical female in the relationship that I'm better with words than, than she is. But she stopped and she sent me that text and it, it shored me up, John. I mean, I felt more like a rock after that. I mean, I felt myself more confident in making the decisions. It made me want to continue to keep myself together emotionally with, with my son. And so, you know, it's those little things. And if you're listening right now thinking, oh, you know, we're, we're struggling and, you know, we're beyond a text. My, I'll push back at that a little bit and say, hey, what would a text do today that says, hey, I know we've been struggling, but I want you to know that I'm not going anywhere, that I love you and I want this to work. Or it's, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. So I think it's these little moments and and we can do this stuff. I mean, we really can. People can do this. I agree. Now, how do people connect with you, get in touch with you, Ted, learn more about what you're doing, find your book, so forth? Yeah, they can just go to tedlow.com. That's low is spelled with an E, T-E-D-L-O-W-E.com. And the book's on there. And we've got a, a podcast that we started. Um, we're on episode eight, John. I'm a little envious that all the podcasts that you have, it makes <laughs> us realize, you know, we're so fun in our way with that. But there's podcasts. You can find the book there and, and uh, speak and schedule and different things. But it's tedlow.com. Well, tedlow.com, and um, and I love podcasts. So, guys, plug into Ted's podcast, and I know he'd appreciate, you know, if you listen to it, a rating and a review. That's big for how iTunes, you know, you know, shows where, you know, where we are on there. And, uh, you know, if you're working on your marriage or, you know, the other thing, too, is a book like this. Uh, you know, if a friend of yours is struggling, a coworker, a colleague, even if they're not a believer – you know, this is such a great way where we can just serve and add value. And John Maxwell always said, Ted, right? You have to connect before you can pull. And mm-hmm. for us to really have influence on people's lives. And what's more important than, you know, about, you know, a marriage? And if we can be somehow involved in helping somebody else if we have a healthy marriage. Um, and it can be as simple as just, you know, caring, uh, handing somebody a book, uh, maybe referring them to, a you know, here's a great podcast. You know, maybe you should, you know, uh, why don't you listen to this on the way home? Nobody will even know that you're listening to it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You don't have to be, your friends don't have to be in the car. You can listen to it all by yourself. That's right. Yeah. Well, Ted, thank you so much for your time today. I sure appreciate this. Such an important topic. And I'd, I would just love to hear from people. Just shoot me an email, john at eternalleadership.com or get in touch with Ted. And just share with me, you know, any small steps forward that you've made after listening to this conversation. So we, we're just here to, to help you all, you know, accomplish what God's inspired in you. And if you're married, um, I know that that's to have just a, a phenomenal marriage. Well, John, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for what you're doing on your podcast and, you know, combining faith, you know, with our work. It's, it's so huge because it's where we spend so much of our time. So thank you for doing what you do, my friend. 
Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success to significance. And in the more than 20 years since then, more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold. It's touched baby boomers in the 90s, and it's now touching the lives of both Gen Xers who are in that midlife season asking, is this all there is? As well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement. To get a free copy of the book, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>